Nakoto, I'm Teresa Cowie and welcome to this week's Insight. Schools are facing their biggest overhaul in 30 years. Everything from boards of trustees through to school zones and deciles are under review. This week, RNZ's education correspondent John Gerritsen investigates what could change and how. These children might not know it, but their school, and 2,500 like it, are on the threshold of a potentially massive change. The government is reviewing nearly every aspect of the school system, and the results will affect how schools are organised, how they're run and funded, and even who gets into them. No government has conducted such a wide-ranging review since 1989, when the reforms known as Tomorrow Schools canned the then education department that ran all schools and set every school up to run itself under the governance of their own elected boards of trustees. The resulting competition was tempered by the introduction in the 1990s of funding based on schools' socio-economic decile ratings and of school zones, which ensure children can attend their local school. In the ensuing years, many schools have thrived, but others have not, and school leaders say it's high time for a change. At the forefront of the changes are school boards of trustees, a feature these Wellington people have some understanding of. They can tend to be captured by a certain type of person. <laughs> Maybe they're not necessarily representative of the communities that they serve. They do a good job of kind of um, doing the governance of the school, so they kind of look after the big picture, kind of... Not really. I've never been on one. I think they make a lot of decisions about how schools are run and stuff like that, yeah. Uh, they have to, to manage, manage the, the daily functions of a school. Other than that, I'm not sure. The school boards were introduced by Tomorrow's Schools, which is now the subject of one of the government's reviews. A task force is overseeing the work, and Barley Hark, a former secondary school principal and deputy chief executive at the Qualifications Authority, is its chairperson. This is a substantial piece of work because, you know, what the Minister has asked us to do is to look at the way schools are administered, organised, led, governed, across the whole schooling system. Since the last review, there have been so many changes. Curriculum, assessment, society, our expectations. It's a different world. So it's time. Barley Hark says the review's terms of reference are so broad it will cover pretty much every aspect of schooling and the government agencies that oversee it. They include what role boards of trustees have, how we deal with overcrowding in schools, how we ensure that every single student has a really top quality education no matter where they live, how teachers are supported in their professional development, how we develop leadership in the system. That's part of the thinking behind the task force as well. So it is wide-ranging. It is about you know, the governance, administration, organisation of schools. Barley Hark says the education system is mostly doing well, but there are definite problems that the review will try to resolve. The consensus quite strong now is that the system is succeeding for many but it's failing for too many. Barley Hark has written a book about reform of the school system as has another member of the task force, Cathy Wiley. Broadly speaking, both authors call for more support for schools from the Education Ministry's regional offices and greater cooperation between groups of schools. Barley Hark says the task force's recommendations are not a foregone conclusion but he says one problem the group needs to resolve is the level of competition between schools. One of the issues coming out of that is that we have winners and losers. 
And if we're talking about education and we're talking about children and we're talking about young people's lives, then I think having a system that sort of generates winners and losers is no longer acceptable. The previous national-led government's Communities of Learning scheme tried to reduce competition by grouping schools together to work on common problems and paying some teachers and principals extra to lead the work. It's not clear what the current government wants to do with the scheme, but Bali Hark says the task force will be asking about that sort of approach. One of the questions we're asking in our submission process is how can we get schools to collaborate a little bit more? How can we work it so that they're working together rather than competing? Education has seen its share of controversy during the past 30 years. Issues like the national standards in reading, writing and maths, the introduction of the NCEA and attempts to bulk fund schools for all their expenses have divided teachers, principals and politicians. Bali Hark says the review of tomorrow's schools needs to find a consensus. We cannot, as a result of this, produce recommendations that are going to divide. We've really got to make sure that we bring the community on board so we have something that can be vibrant and last for, let's say, the next 30 years. We've been at that number for probably 12 or 15 years, um, and that gives us some... Real flexible in the senior school with a very, very broad curriculum. We can even Mike Williams is the principal of Pakaranga College and the president of the Secondary Principals Association. Coincidentally, both roles Bali Hark once held. Mike Williams says secondary principals are still developing their ideas on what needs to change. His personal view, however, is that the current model is asking too much of boards of trustees. The whole idea of boards of trustees, there'll be an election and... Many, many schools struggle to find enough trustees to stand. There isn't an election. If there is an election, it's 5%, maybe 10% of people actually vote the trustees on. So is that really in the spirit of what was envisaged? If we look at governance, governance is a very, very complex concept, yet we're asking some volunteers to do it at night after work in their spare time without really any training for it doesn't really make a greater sense of the most important job. Mike Williams says what schools really need is a new layer of leadership. If we start at the beginning at a classroom level, there are classrooms that are just stunning environments. And when you start analysing that, it's around the, the leadership of the teacher, the teacher leading the learning of those young people. Next level up in the system, you've got syndicates, departments doing stunning work. Again, it's the leadership of the leader in that role. We've got schools that are doing amazing jobs, and it's the leadership of the leader of that organisation. But the leadership structure in the system stops there. There is no leadership beyond school leaders. There is no leadership in the wider system. Mike Williams agrees schools have benefited enormously from the autonomy of the tomorrow school system, and they won't give it up. But he says they could do with someone providing direction just above the level of individual schools. That's not a view likely to be shared across the city at one of the country's best-known schools, Auckland Grammar. Hey, John. How you Hi, Tim. Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Tim O'Connor is the headmaster at Auckland Grammar. He says he doesn't regard his school as one of the winners under the Tomorrow School system because it imposed an enrolment zone on the school that's become a major headache to police. He wants successful schools like his to be left to run themselves without many of the rules that currently restrict schools.
We don't believe in exclusivity. We are open, and we would like for there, ideally, to be a freedom to choose a school of our type. So get rid of the zones, get rid of decile ratings, get rid of all those things and stand on your own two feet. Because we believe in what we do, and we believe that the better the standard of education across this country is, then the better it is for our country. Tim O'Connor says ideally the government's review will result in a two-track model, one for successful schools, the other for the roughly 10% that are struggling. Those who wish to have boards of trustees operate continue to have that model because they think they can get the skill set from within their community. Those who can't, can there be another model that schools can opt into to say, we do need to access these skills and attributes from people to be able to help guide our school in the right direction. We can actually move forward successfully with options for schools rather than perhaps some of the suggestions that are coming through now of centralisation for all. But Tim O'Connor is not confident the task force will reflect all views in the school sector. Are you going to Auckland? Um, so I've got um, NASDAQ, which is our... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the School Trustees Association office in Wellington, the organisation's president, Lorraine Kerr, is meeting the president of the post-primary teachers association, Jack Boyle. Lorraine Kerr says trustees and teachers need to work together to achieve common goals. And she says trustees are ready for change. Over the last... Two weeks, I've spoken to about 250 trustees, and a large proportion of them, who are a lot younger, didn't know what tomorrow's schools were. So they've lived in a system that is a system. They didn't know it was called tomorrow's schools. I don't think any change will be a hard change for boards. Many boards rely heavily on their principal for guidance. But Lorraine Kerr says the Trustees Association is proposing a potentially controversial change to their role. One of the changes I would look at is where the principal reports to the board and is not part of the board. What's the advantage of doing that? If we look at every other effective governance model, the CEO reports to the board and is not a board member. Sometimes it tends to muddy the waters in terms of, I'm a board member as well, so I need to vote here, as opposed to, yes, but your day-to-day job is you're the CEO. How do you think that's going to go down with principals? Oh, I'm sure they're not going to like it. But that's what this is all about, testing those boundaries. Lorraine Kerr says a lot's expected of trustees, but rather than lighten that load, she wants employers to cut them some slack so they have more time for their responsibilities. Currently we have boards who, to do the right thing by their responsibilities, they take annual leave, they take leave without pay. There are even some who think this is only going to take an hour, I'll sneak out of work to do this business. Now that's not fair on boards. So maybe one of the things that we need to look at as an organisation is how employers can recognise the work that boards do in schools and that boards don't have to take annual leave, leave without pay or sneak off. You're asking for the goodwill of employers to give Board of Trustee members time for that? That's correct. However, Lorraine Kerr says another option would be to remove some responsibilities from boards and she nominates property as one area they could lose. There are boards out there and principals who absolutely hold on to the responsibility around property. Yet when you look at the amount of time principals and boards put into 
the planning, the financial side, the potential fundraising to build this wonderful building. And at the end of the day, it doesn't belong to them. It actually belongs to the government. Why would you do it? When actually your focus should be around teaching and learning. Kathleen O'Hare is the principal of Decile 1 Marairoa School in Porirua East. She agrees too much is being asked of school boards and principals and the workload has been getting bigger, especially with recent changes to health and safety rules. Boards of trustees, when they were first created, didn't have all these extra constraints that they didn't think, well I don't think they thought they were going to be landed with. That's more work? Made more work and a bit scarier. I mean I don't know if our boards of trustees actually realise the extent of this legislation in terms of their accountability, their liability, that's huge and I don't know if we're well prepared for that. But while Kathleen O'Hare would like boards and principals to have fewer responsibilities, she's also enthusiastic about the potential for a whole new layer of governance. She says it would build on the Communities of Learning scheme, which has been working well for the schools in her area. We have a pretty strong community of learning, and wondering with this new change that we create a governance board that is the board for all of our schools in our community of learning. All of the board chairs have all put their hands up to be on that governance board, which we call a community voice board. So you'd still have a voice in our community, and it sort of just shares that load a bit. I think it it could be exciting, an exciting thing that we could look at. Schools manage and govern themselves, but when things go wrong, the Education Ministry can appoint a manager or advisor to get things back on track. Helena Barwick has been one of those managers since 2014, helping about a dozen schools with serious problems she says are largely related to the tomorrow's school system. I think our model has wonderful potential, but it also is quite risky. And when I go into schools, there's usually one of two sorts of issues, and they're quite related. One is that there may be a principal, a leader at the centre, who is overwhelmed by the magnitude of what they have to do. And what our model says is that when they're struggling with that, the board has to step up as an employer, has to actively manage the situation. And many of our boards simply are not confident to do that, don't have the background to do that. Helena Barwick says the other main issue is when a board doesn't understand its role and starts to interfere in the running of the school, causing friction with the principal. The other one is where the board is overwhelmed, but probably because they don't have a very good understanding of what governance looks like in a school setting and so not being clear about that they sometimes start to interfere in I suppose operational matters which creates then some tension often with the principal who's the manager of the school. Helena Barwick says in some regions the education ministry has become better at keeping an eye on schools and helping them to avoid serious problems. She says that's good but the job of principals and boards is becoming too complex and it's time for the government to ease their workload. I would like to see the Ministry of Education take back some of the infrastructural responsibilities that have been devolved to schools over the past 25 years, 30 years. And they are in fact taking some steps to take back some more of the property issues. I'd like to see that go a lot further and a lot faster. There's a real challenge for some schools in finding good staff, and I don't think 
it would be good to return to the olden days when teachers were appointed by the Department of Education and sort of allocated to schools. I'm not, I'm not looking for that. But I think there is a role for the Ministry of Education to play a more active part in assisting schools to find quality staff. Brian Annan is an education consultant, but in 1989, when Tomorrow's Schools was rolled out, he was starting his first job as a school principal. He says it was very successful and it proved schools could run their own affairs. The big problem with that, though, was it was based on administration and the business side of the schooling. It wasn't necessarily focused on improving the learning. And so what the next phase has to do is focus much more on learning than what the past has. That, that might sound crazy because schools are about learning. But a whole lot of stuff that happens in schools is actually administrative and peripheral to learning. And so the next phase is how do you get focused much more on learning? And then in order to do that, learning doesn't just happen in schools. So the next phase has to be a merger of schools and communities in terms of learning. Brian Annan says that means taking children into their local community to learn and showing them how subjects like maths are relevant to their interests and goals. I'm John Gerritsen and you're listening to an RNZ Insight programme about the government's review of tomorrow's schools. Having been established largely to, to shift the learning outcomes of New Zealand students, and in particular Māori, it hasn't worked. We're no better off than we were in 1989. In fact, if, if you look at, at all the evidence, we've, we've slid in international rankings, all those kinds of things. University of Auckland Professor of Education Peter O'Connor is sceptical about the benefits of tomorrow's schools. He says boards of trustees and individual schools haven't been as well supported as they should have, and for some schools the system hasn't worked. We have developed in, in the 30 years of tomorrow's schools a two-tiered system. And the two-tiered system is, is really quite simple. There are schools in really well-off communities that are doing really well with boards of trustees, with expertise, understanding, knowledge, access to cultural capital, that schools in lower socioeconomic areas don't have and they struggle under the weights of that, and we have principals working in, in those schools who talk often and have over the whole period of tomorrow's schools about how they have to pick up those kinds of roles. Peter O'Connor says that effect has combined badly with school deciles. Deciles are the number from 1 to 10 assigned to schools based on the number of children from poor neighbourhoods. That's inadvertently helped to create popular and unpopular schools. If this government does anything in education, if they achieve parents having confidence in their local school as a school that delivers high-quality education for their child, that will be a significant shift from where we are at the moment. Choice of school has led to the introduction of enrolment schemes or zones to ensure popular schools don't fill up with children from other areas, leaving no room for local children. In downtown Wellington, there are mixed views about whether zoning is a good idea. I believe that a child should be able to go to whatever school that their parents wish them to and they want to go to. I do know how school zoning works, yep. What do I think of it? <laughs> I think that it's important that children should be able to go to their local schools and I think if you've got a school that's doing particularly well on league tables or something like that, you run the risk of people from outside the area pushing their way into the schools and being admitted over local children. I think generally it's a good idea because it helps to just kind of spread the resources across the community, all the different schools, and it means that each school kind of has a, a pool of people they can kind of serve, so it helps them to plan and to budget and all that kind of stuff, so that makes sense, yeah.
Mike Williams from Pakuranga College says zones won't be necessary if schools really do start working together for the good of their wider community. Zoning really was a response after tomorrow's schools. Tomorrow's schools was around freedom of choice. There became a problem pretty early on where schools were becoming overcrowded. So zoning wasn't part of tomorrow's schools. Zoning was brought in to stop schools getting too crowded. And it wasn't used particularly well because schools have just got bigger and bigger. So it's a red herring. If we solve the main problem, then that becomes really relevant. But Lorraine Kerr from the School Trustees Association says some in the sector would like to see an even stricter version of the current system. I've actually had feedback from principals who want every school to be zoned. And I said, so you're suggesting we take away parental choice? And they said yes. If the local school is perceived to be, if you like, not a very good school then we have to do something, we being the system, about lifting that school and making sure all our parents go to the school within their community. And I thought, well, actually, that's a pretty good idea. Lorraine Kerr says zones are not applied consistently and a lot more work is needed to improve the system. Peter O'Connor from Auckland University says children have a right to attend their nearest school and for that reason, zoning needs to stay. The right for children to be able to access a quality school in the local area where they live, that seems to me to be a basic right of a democracy. It's often presented in the educational discourse, you know, this tension between choice and equity. I would prefer to see a system with less choice but with more equity. But while zones might survive, another long-standing feature of the school system, the decile, is almost certainly on the way out. The labelling of schools with a number from 1 to 10 is something many people know about the school system. It runs the risk of branding some schools as maybe lower achieving than perhaps they deserve because they've got a lower decile. No idea how they're calculated, no. Depending on the scale that the school's at as to how much funding they get and resources and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's all I really know. The decile is used to allocate about $130 million a year to help schools mitigate the impact that being from a poor background can have on how well a child does at school. But many people misunderstand it. Some wrongly believe decile-based funding was created to make up for the difficulty schools in poor areas have in getting donations and fundraising. Others think the decile number indicates how good a school is. Now the government is considering its predecessor's plan to replace the decile with a system that targets money to individual children with specific risk factors, such as beneficiary parents. Mike Williams is in favour of a change. He says the government needs a way of identifying which schools need extra funding. Decile is, is not a very good way of doing it. It's actually been proven by the previous government and the work the Ministry did that it's a, a very, very poor tool of identifying the students most at risk. There are much more sophisticated ways of doing that. When it was invented 20 years ago, it was the best we could do. We know an awful lot more around data and how to identify those people, so there are much better ways of doing it. But again, it's a, a small sideline issue around funding. If we want to get into funding of schools, personally I believe we need to have a serious conversation in New Zealand about what does a good education look like and then what does it cost. The president of the post-primary teachers association Jack Boyle says whatever's decided the amount of money allocated to schools in poor neighbourhoods needs to be a lot higher. 
Currently, we absolutely need decile funding, and we probably should be looking at other jurisdictions where the equity funding or decile funding is significantly higher proportion of the educational investment than in New Zealand. In New Zealand, it's about 3% of the funding, and in high-performing jurisdictions, it's 10 to 15%. Hi, Minister. Welcome. Hi, Demo. How are you? Yeah, good. Good, good to see you. Come the Minister of Education, Chris Hipkins, is overseeing the various reviews now underway. He's made it clear the government favours certain directions, one of which is to get schools to work much more closely together. I would absolutely love to see schools working together within their broader communities, with early childhood education providers, with employers even in the, in the case of secondary schools, to really uh, join all of the parts of the education system up and give kids the very best shot at education possible. I don't want to see schools spending lots of money on marketing or poaching students off one another. Um, I want them working together for the benefit of all of the kids in their area. It sounds very much like the communities of learning introduced by the previous government, but Mr Hipkins says schools are finding that model too restrictive. Another area the government is keen to change is schools' responsibility for their own property, because some schools have managed it badly and others say it's too much work. Talk to school principals, they either love it or they hate it. So they either love you know, having projects around property to, to dabble with, that's the minority. The vast majority of them um, find it a real burden and would quite happily say if someone else is going to manage our property we'd be very happy about that. So that's absolutely an area where I think there will be change as a result of the Tomorrow's Schools Review. Chris Hipkins says school zones will have to stay because there's not enough room for more students in many schools but the school decile will eventually be replaced by more accurate measures of disadvantage that can be used to target more than just extra operational funding to schools. It might be that we also can draw on that data to help us identify where we've got high concentrations of children who are likely to need um, additional support from outside the education system. So it might be that we link up more with health and with oranga tamariki and so on, social workers in schools. Those sorts of things might actually help us as well, and this data is giving us actually better insight into how we might be able to target those extra supports. Despite the clear preferences for particular changes, Chris Hipkins says the government does not have a predetermined view of what should happen, and it genuinely wants to know what the school sector and the public think. Part of the reason we've set up an independent task force with five strong personalities on it is actually we want them to get out there and talk to schools and see if we can you know, get some consensus on what the strengths of the current system are, what the weaknesses are and what the future might look like. I would far rather take a bit of time to really ensure that people feel empowered by this process than simply just go, come along and say, here's a new model, this is what we're doing and live with it. It's too early to know if schools are heading for another change of the scale of tomorrow's schools nearly 30 years ago. But with school boards, school funding and the entire competitive nature of the schooling system under the microscope, the potential is there for a significant overhaul. That programme was written and presented by John Gerritsen. You can explore and listen to other insights from our page rnz.co.nz forward slash insight or head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, our Otago reporter Tim Brown looks at the phenomenon of big money preppers from overseas building their bolt holes in New Zealand. I'm Teresa Cowie and that's all from Insight for today. Join us again next week. <laughs>